0: Um, I'm going to go ahead and mute everybody on here. Let's see here. What I'm going to do is put on my glasses so I can see. All right. Um, what questions do we, do we have? For those of you who are new, we've been going through um, uh, the book of Revelation, which is a bit of a, uh, a challenge, as we've talked about, because um, the book of Revelation is, uh, there's not much new in that book. Uh, like any book, if you read the last chapter, and then expected to understand the last chapter without reading the first, you know, part of the book, it wouldn't make any sense to. So, there's always a lot of, um, there's always a desire to study the book of Revelation. Um, but then once you actually get into it, it just people get lost because you don't know the first 65 books. So we're trying to move through the book. But really, the goal um, I think for any of, the, of what I'm teaching seminary classes or, or wherever teaching here at the church, the goal is just to help people read the Bible because what we do. When we read the Bible, is so different than we read anything else, right? I mean, think about that. Um, how many of you have had uh, been through some kind of Bible study program or precepts or whatever? There's a, what are some others? Uh, there's yeah, Bible studies, CBS. yeah, B.S.F. Yeah, uh, okay, all of that uh, Okay. So, are they tell you to go through steps to read the Bible? Right. what are the steps? Yeah, it's usually something like observation, then interpretation, yeah. then application. Okay. okay, I want you to think about the last thing that you sat down and read, on the computer or wherever, a book. I don't know, does anybody, does anybody read books anymore? <laughs> yeah, I well, I know. Yeah, read a book. So, do you go through those steps in anything else that you've ever read? Observation. Yeah, you just read it. Well, how do you know what it meant? Just read it. You just read it. What do you mean you just read it? I read it. What happens if you come to something that you don't quite understand? Go back and come back and read it. Do you assume that what it's saying has something to do with what's been said and what's going to be said? So you just make the assumption. Um, so that's just reading, right? So uh, in the seminary, I tell our department, we're in the Bible department. I, I've taught in the Old Testament department, which is Hebrew and Aramaic. I've taught in the New Testament department, which teaches Greek. Um, and uh, and I now I teach in the Bible department, which is. We teach by New Testament, Old Testament, um, and I remind our other professors all the time: we're really just teaching remedial reading. But if we could just get the people to read it, read it like they read anything else, then it would make sense. Right? But we don't read it like we read anything else, and we've been trained to not read it like we read anything else. Um, don't you can you give us this a little more complicated? By how many different authors over so many different years on different continents? It's like one author sat down. So it's a little bit more complicated than you're making it out. No, that's pretty much. Well, oh, it's so long. Oh, It's, so long. it's, so long. it's yeah. hard to remember what happened here by time. Are Check. We- sure. Yeah, so uh, here's back. what I'd say about it. That's exactly. I went through seminary, I went through precepts, off precepts, with all that stuff. Yes. Yeah. So um, yeah. So so uh, for those of you online, let me re- repeat. The question was, can't you just? It's hard because you know there's a bunch of different authors and a bunch of different books, and uh, you can't just sit down and read it. Most of the difficulty that you'll have is in, with understanding the Bible, is that you have a pre-understanding. You've already been told what it says. Then you come to it, and you say, well, I know this verse says this, but... And so I was talking to uh, someone this week uh, about seminary training, I said, really, the, the first step in seminary training, because most people who come to seminary, they're not brand-new believers who don't know it. It'd be great if they were, because then you'd have a blank, more of a blank slate to start with. These are people who've been around church for a long time, been around Bible, been around Bible study for a long time. And the first thing that you got to do—it's like their concrete is—you know—the analogy is the concrete the rebar is already in, it's already poured, and it's been set, and it's been there so long it's starting to crack. Okay. Um, now, is all of the foundation that they built wrong? No, but you know what? It just—it's cheaper just to. Jackhammer it all out of there and get rid of it all and start over. Okay. A lot of the stuff you're going to put back in the same places, but now you'll know why those things are put back in the same places. Does that make sense? Okay. So, um, so, so it's it's reading in context. Remember in Kim's. Now, so so the um so. so The the context, let's talk about context for a minute. The context within which the book book of Joshua is written. Joshua, Joshua. Uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, then what's next? Deuteronomy, then what's next? Joshua, okay. Joshua writes, and what's the context within which Joshua writes? The first five books, right? And so you're not going to understand the conquest. The conquest of what? Who's conquesting what? (laughs) Who are the conquistadors? See there, that's Spanish, Jesse. (laughs) Who are the the people who are conquesting? Israel. What are they conquering? Their Their promised land. Promised to them by who? Okay, promised to them, through who? Abraham, and then Isaac, and then Jacob, and then uh, through the story of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and the 12 sons who find themselves stuck down in Egypt for how long? 400 years, and they're going to be enslaved for 400 years, but then the Lord says, I'm going to come, and I'm going to deliver them out, and he's telling this to Abraham, Abram at this point, in chapter, because he had changed his name, right, he had changed his name from Abram to Abraham, Uh, and so he's telling this to him in chapter 15 of Genesis, and Abram says, how will I know, Lord, that this is going to happen, and so he causes a deep sleep to fall upon him. And he sees this uh, this dream when he's asleep, and the dream is uh, that uh, that the Lord will visit his people again, and will fulfill his promises to them. Okay. You got to know all this before you start chapter six. You understand what I mean by chapter six? What's chapter one? Yeah. Yeah. Genesis chapter two, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua. Then you get to Judges chapter 1, and this angel of the Lord shows up. Who's, where'd this angel of the Lord come from? Chapter 2. The angel of the Lord showed up in chapter 2 when uh, the Lord says to Moses, I'm not going with y'all. Right? Chapter 1, the promises, chapter 2, the deliverance, they're going in the land and and the Lord says to Moses, "You know what, Moses? I'm not going with you. Because if I go with you, I'll kill every one of them. My angel will lead you into the land." All right. So Moses dies. What does that happen? Chapter five, you run, and then chapter six, right? Who's leading now? And who shows up? The angel of the Lord. He says, uh, "Shows up to Joshua. What does Joshua do? You remember?" He asked this question, are you for us or are you against us? And the angel says what? It's a Veggie Tale story, by the way. Good. <laughs> My favorite, by the way, where, uh, where the angel of the Lord is, uh, who's playing, uh, I forget. I think it's the asparagus. But, uh, but Larry, the cucumber, is playing the part of Joshua. And when he sees, it's the asparagus, isn't it? When he sees the asparagus, the angel of the Lord, he falls with his face to the ground. And, of course, the cucumber has no arms. So he's in the sand. And uh, this is where he's supposed to say, are you for us or against us? But his face is in the sand. And so he says, Uh, are you for us or against us? Neither is the answer. That's the wrong question, right? The question is not is the angel of the Lord for Israel. The question is what is Israel for the Lord. I'm on God's team. I don't know what y'all are, doing, right? So he leads them in. They're supposed to conquer the. Land. Now this is all part of Revel, uh, all part of the Book of Revelation. How's it part of the book? Why is this part of the Book of Revelation? We'll get there. Now back in Chapter Five and Chapter Three. Leviticus and Deuteronomy. The Lord says to uh, to Moses, this actually is introduced in chapter 2, section 34, verses 6 and following. Right after the Lord, the Lord God compassionate soul of anger. I will make a covenant with your people. I'm gonna cut, I'm gonna make a deal with them. I'm gonna take them into the land, and if they will follow me they will serve me as the Lord their God, then I will bless them in the land. But if they don't, I will curse them, and I will kick them out of the land. And this is the form that the curses will take, war and famine and death and pestilence and all this stuff, right? And, and you're going to see all this show back up at any time that the Lord is dealing with Israel, and there is a famine in the land. Why is there famine in the land? Think about that. What would cause a famine to be in the land of Israel? Help me out, farmers. God didn't provide rain. It It stopped raining. The pump broke. That's not this. The rain stopped. If the rain stops and you're an Israelite in the land of Israel, what do you include? We're in trouble. Uh We need to return to the Lord and he will restore us And he will cause the rain to fall and, you know, all this. So when you see the rain stops in the Bible, that's what's going on. Can you think of of a rain stopping story? Elijah. That's That's like, uh, tell me a rain stopping story. Elijah. right. And what was Israel doing? Caused the rain to stop. Do you remember? They were worshiping worshiping which God? Baal. 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 Uh, The rain stops, and the prophet comes on the scene and says, uh, The rain stopped. (laughs) Thanks for that, genius. We appreciate your commentary there. Uh, It's not that the rain stopped. Why did the rain stop? All other gods. So, what do you need to do? By the way, Baal was the god of rain. That's that's great irony. One of my favorite stories in the Old Testament is uh is when Elijah is there taunting Baal. Yeah, that's, that's just good stuff. Where is he? Maybe he went to the bathroom. Maybe he's <laughs> busy. Yeah. Um and so uh so you know the story. Uh Baal, uh, Elijah kills all the prophets of Baal, the rain comes, and, and, uh, and the story continues right along. So every time that you're dealing with war, famine, pestilence, all that stuff, that's the Lord's dealing with Israel to cause them to repent, okay? In the days that the judges judged, there was a famine in the land. What's that uh, story? That's the beginning of what, what story? There's a certain man whose name was My God is King, had a wife whose name was Pleasant, had two sons, sickly and wasting away. <laughs> Why would you name yourself that? Went to live in the land of seed, Moab, seed. Why would they leave the land? Because there was a famine in the land. Why is there a famine in the land? No rain. Why is there no rain? They're serving other gods. And she goes, uh, you know, they go, and Elimelech dies. How do you interpret that? And Nikhlon sickly dies and wasting away dies. But before they died, they took to for themselves foreign wives. are supposed to marry foreign wives? Especially not Moabitesses. Right? That's a particularly poor decision. Um, um, and so the rain uh, all of a sudden turns back on in the land of Israel so what do they do? time to go home right? and so uh, pleasant who wants her name changed to bitter don't call me pleasant call me bitter for the Lord has dealt bitterly with me gets up and Goes to return. and uh, her two daughters-in-law. Do you remember the name of the two daughters-in-law? Ruth, which means female companion, and what's the other? You know, Oprah. Oprah. It's Orpa. yeah. It's, it's eleven o'clock. Oprah was supposed to get her name anyway. Uh, Orpa is, is means the neck, right? Uh, why? Because in the in the story, she turns her neck. To go back to her people. In fact, who tells her to go back to her people? Naomi does. Go back to your people, your gods. What does Ruth say? It's not my God anymore. Your people, my people. Your God, my God. Where you go, I go. Where you die, I die. And then it says, it's translated poorly, Says, "Not even death will separate me from you." That's not what it says. There's a lot of italics there. Whenever you see italics in the Bible, it's because they're they're not translated. They're, they're go look at the literal translation. Okay, and what it literally says is, "Not even death will separate." You. Now, it helps to know a little bit of background there. Um, they had a family tomb. Her bones were going to be right there with. They own these bones. You stuck with me forever, is what she said. All right. Um, so they go back to the land of Beth-lechem, Beth-lechem, uh, Bethlehem. Bethlehem. Beth, house, lechem, bread. They go back to the house of bread. Uh, and they meet Boaz. Boaz, you know the story. Does that, that makes sense? Try Every time you see famine in the in, in the Bible, every time, every time, this is this is how you are to understand okay? war, famine, death. It's the judgment of the Lord bringing it upon Israel to get them to do what? To return to the Lord to repent. Simple, simple. Okay. So if you know the covenant agreement in chapters three and five, that covenant goes all the way through. The story, are you with me? Did Israel keep their end of the covenant? Did they keep their, their end of the deal? If you follow me, then I will bless you. Did they do that? No, they didn't. What did they do? They went and worshiped the other gods. Yes? <clears throat> what do you expect? Why did they go worship the other gods? By the way, did you notice y'all are tracking along because you're tracking story? All of a sudden, this is making sense because it's story. As soon as we start talking about, you know, theology and whatever, and practical application for today, you know, whatever, and you start going through these goofy steps. All of a sudden, it doesn't make any sense, right? And I make stuff up. Sure, I make stuff up all the time. In the days that the famine uh, the days that the judges judged, there was a fan. You know, everybody lives in their day. Okay. And our day is different from their day. And we have different things that we have to address today than they had back then. But days can bring trouble. This is the kind of garbage that you hear all the time. This is is Sunday school teachers. This is is why you don't don't know what's going on in this story. Does that make sense? Are there troubles today? Yes. Are they the same troubles as Israel? No. Did you have to have a Bible verse to know that? Uh, no. My troubles aren't even your troubles. My troubles aren't even, well, we have similar troubles, but you have to deal with your trouble more than I have to deal with your trouble. Let's see my going See, that's practical application. (laughs) No, but once you're talking about the story... Oh, yeah. (laughs) Bless your heart. Uh, Her trouble is the same as my trouble. (laughs) It's right here. Uh, But once you start talking about story, all of a sudden it starts to make sense. And every verse, every sentence, every hard thing to interpret you are to understand in light of what's come before it and what's following. Okay? So you can't interpret chapter 7, book of Judges, without 1 through 6. You can't interpret chapter 8, Samuel, Kings, Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job. da. da, da. You, you can't interpret any of these books apart from the story. You can't interpret the Gospels apart from the story. Now, so what happens in the story? Bring everybody up to speak. That's some new people today, so I want to bring everybody up to speak. The more we talk about the story, the more you'll just be able to read Revelation. Oh, listen. All right. So what happened in the story? Let's go back. Uh, when, when were the nations, plural, created in the story? Tower of Babel. Yep. Uh, chapter... Um, section 11 in our little analogy, okay? Chapter 11 of Genesis, Tower of Babel, okay? The nations were created. Tell me about those nations. All godly people. No. Were there any godly people? Story doesn't say that, but God chose one man. From all the nations, he picks one man whose name means exalted father. Of Ram, exalted Ram, of Father, exalted Father, and He said, "I will make you a father of many nations. I will bless you; you will be a blessing. Uh, I will make your name great. In contrast to everyone else trying to make their own name great, the Lord would make His name great. Um, I will take you from the land which your uh, take you from the land which your fathers possess, and I will take you to this new land. And you will possess it, and I will make you a great nation." And in, with, through you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. What does that mean? Through you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. We got to know this. or so, Yeah, yeah. The, the promised seed that was promised back in Genesis 3. Why did we need a promised seed in Genesis 3? What happened in Genesis 3? Yeah, the fall. Yeah, And so they're kicked out of the garden, but one's going to come, and what's he going to do? He's going to remove all the curses that were placed on them right there at the garden. So the story is looking for the removal of the curses through the one that you've tracked through this genealogy. That's why there are genealogies in chapters uh, 4, 5, 9, 10, 11. Genealogy, which take you from this promise in Genesis 3 to... Noah, through Shem, down to this person, whose name is Abram. In you, all the families of the earth, will I'll make you a great nation. The same promise is repeated to Isaac, his son, and to Jacob, whose name is changed to Israel, and he has 12 sons who make up the, they're going to grow into the 12 tribes, but out of one tribe in particular, remember we're still practicing, Tracking this promised seed. And so this nation is chosen to be his people. Are you with me? So when in the Bible you read his people, that's Israel. Okay. Now, that's contrary to what you, you think. See, are we his people? Not yet. Not yet. Just hold your horses, not yet. Not at this part of the story. Uh, How are the Gentiles talked about in the Old Testament? They're they're Gentiles. They're nations. They're the, call it the AYOs. All you others are the Roys. The rest of (laughs) y'all. We'll get to y'all later. We got to deal with this people. And so he makes a covenant with this people. What's the problem with this people? They're a stiff necked, rebellious people. And they are going to go follow other gods. That's just what they do. So how does the Lord respond to this, this people going to follow other gods? He says, you know what? I'm tired of y'all. I'm going to cast y'all into hell. I'm glad he doesn't do that because that wouldn't bode well for some of us in here me and Mike. (laughs) I guess it's just me. (laughs) That would not go, you with me? Uh, uh, So the Lord says to them, I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant, which I made uh, from them, uh, made with them, when I took them by the hand and led them out of slavery. What's he talking about there? My covenant which they broke. Exodus. What covenant are they talking about? Not like the old covenant which I made with them. the Mosaic covenant. But I will make a new covenant with them. Now, what's going to change in this new covenant? I will put my spirit within them. I will give them a new heart and a new spirit, and I will cause them to walk in all my ways. In other words, I'll remove that rebellious heart of theirs. I'll give them a new heart. I'll remove that old spirit, give them a new spirit. You with me? This is the new covenant, which was promised to who? Israel. So this is what's playing out in the Old Testament story. But all the way back in chapter 5, in the book of Deuteronomy, And all the way through the prophets, there is this foretelling of what's going to actually take place. Israel is going to reject the Lord and reject his promised Messiah that will come through them. They put him to death. This will be the suffering servant who will suffer for the nation Israel. And because of the rejection of the suffering servant, Then the remnant of Israel, explain what that means. There was always a remnant. Most of Israel always rejected, but there was always a remnant. Go back to the Elijah story. Do you remember that? Elijah's over there whining about, oh, it's only me. The Lord says, shut up. That's a loose translation. (laughs) Shut up. I have have preserved 700 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. And through the whole story, there was always this faithful remnant who were looking forward to the coming Messiah. Who would be the faithful remnant during the days of Christ? The disciples. Yes, the disciples. Uh, We just had a sermon about this, right? Um, So Christ... They were all Jews. They were all Jews. Um, And so Jesus shows up on the scene, calls his disciples... Uh, they're believing in him, right? Many others are believing as well. Jews, other Jews are believing as well. Uh, we were in chapter eight. You remember what happens in chapter six of John? This is Jesus, uh, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part of me. And some of the people who are following were gone. this is a hard teaching, and they're leaving him. And Jesus, you remember this? He turns to his disciples and he asks them what? Remember? Are you going to leave me too? And Peter answers, Gotta love Peter. What does he say? Lord, where else can we go? Only you have the words of eternal life. And so they continue on. And so, so these disciples are going to endure. They're going to remain in the truth. What's the truth in the book of John? What's the truth in the Bible? 14.6. Okay, you got this, this statement that Jesus says. Let me help you. Jesus says in 14.6, I am the way and the truth and the life. Okay, so define truth. Let me say it again. I'll go slow. I am the, who's, who's speaking? Not me. It's not Klingler. Klingler's not. Klingler's the idiot. I am the way. Okay, who's the way? Okay, I am the truth. Who is the truth? I uh, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. The Word became flesh and tabernacled among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten. Grace and truth were revealed through Moses. They walked onto the scene in Christ. Does that make sense? Truth walked onto the scene. <clears throat> He is the Word. He created all. All things hold together through him. Nothing that's been created that has been created was not created by Christ. He runs it all. He is the truth. Are you with me? The disciples are going to have to remain in that truth. What does that mean? Okay, what's going to happen to Jesus? We're in chapter 8. What has not happened yet? Chapter 8 of the Gospel of John. Not this would be chapter 40, 43. Chapter 43 of the, of the story. Chapter 8 in the Gospel of John. Are you with me? Uh, Jesus hasn't died yet, has he? He keeps telling his disciples, the Son of Man, the, the promised Messiah, is going to be delivered up. He's going to be killed. He's going to be raised. And they're going, No. He is crucified. He is raised. What do they have to continue to believe? That Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and believing in him, you will have life in his name. That belief is going to be challenged. So that's the the, the truth that they have to abide in. Does that make sense? But Israel rejects the Gospel of John. He came, this is how the Gospel of John. So it says it. he came to his own, not. and his own did not receive him. Who are his own? Israel. But whoever. Okay, who would that be? There we go. That, whoever there means. All the others. Other than Israel. Yeah. Like a Samaritan woman. Uh, because the light, who's the light? In him was light, and the light was the light. In him was light and the light was the light of men. Uh, Who has life in him, Jesus? Who is the light, Jesus? And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness could not comprehend it. Who is the light, Jesus? He shines in the darkness, and the darkness could not un- uh, overcome it. This is just story. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. Give me a great. Um, his own. If someone's going to say, okay, we need someone to play the part of his own. Who would be the ideal, his own person? He'd have to be a Jew. He oh. would have to be a Jew. Would he have to know the Old Testament? Yeah, he you probably need to be a Pharisee. Yeah. Uh, the teacher of Israel? Oh, that'd be good. Well, let's use him. The teacher of Israel. A Jew man, Pharisee, the teacher of Israel. He came to his own, and his own did not receive. Okay, so this guy's not gonna get it. The light shines in the darkness. So he's going to so this one is going to come to the light. When? When it is what? Dark outside. Oh, that's good. I like, write that in there. That's good. Nice. Oh. He came to his own, and his own did not receive. The light shined in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend. Who comes to Jesus at night, who is a man, a Pharisee, the teacher of Israel? He says, we know you come from God, because nobody does the things you do. What are you want? And Jesus quotes a bunch of Old Testament passages to Nicodemus, and Nicodemus goes, "Huh? And what's the next chapter? Whoever. Okay, let's let's pick this, person. this is how story works. Let's pick someone opposite. Uh, he wouldn't be a Jew, but a Gentile. well, worse than a Gentile. What's worse than a Gentile than the Jews are? A Samaritan." Not a man, but a woman. Not the teacher of Israel, but different occupation. (laughs) Are you starting to see this? Not coming at night, but comes at day. And she gets it. And not only does she get it, she goes and tells others. This is how John is telling the story of he came to his own, but his own did not receive him. So in, uh, in every gospel writer tells the story different. It tells the same story. Israel rejects the gospel, goes to the, to the Gentiles. Now who takes the gospel to the Gentiles? The Jews. Paul in particular. Right? The gospel is being taken out to the world by the remnant in the midst of Israel's rejection. Are you with me? This is how all the nations will be blessed through Christ. What's going to happen is the nations are going to be blessed through Christ. You with me? How it's going to happen is through Israel's rejection, the believing remnant, that is Christ's disciples, foretold in Isaiah, in chapter 8 and chapter 50. The disciples, uh, the eyewitnesses, are going to take the gospel to the nations. And the nations are going to to believe and this is how the Abrahamic covenant is going to be fulfilled how the promise made to Abram that all the nations would be blessed would be fulfilled so when we get into Revelation and there's all people from every nation and every tribe and every tongue gathered around the throne worshipping Christ where'd they come from? they came from the nation how'd they get there? This is the story. But God has made his promises to his people. Who are his people? Israel. And so he's not going to, Israel rejects, he goes to the nations and then ditches Israel. That's not what's going to happen. So this is Romans. You remember Romans, this whole uh, take a picture of this tree with the branches broken off. Uh, that if the natural branches are broken off and the wild olive branches are grafted in he's able to graft back in the natural ones as well what's he talking about? Who are the natural ones that were broken off? Why were they broken off? Because of unbelief. What was grafted in? The unnatural ones which are the Gentiles uh, and if he can graft in the unnatural one, he can graft the natural ones back in that's Israel. and so all Israel shall be saved so we just keep reading, keep reading. Right? And so when we get to Revelation, guess what's going to happen? He's going to graph them back in. When's the first time you read that? I don't know. Deuteronomy 32? The first time I read it. And every book after that? Do you remember Hosea? And this is so easy because all the stories that you know, the only story that you know in Hosea is one. You only know one story in that whole book. I guarantee you nobody can tell me anything past chapter 3 or 4. Talk to me about Hosea. Gomer. Yeah, Todd's back there. Gomer. Who's Gomer? Well, she she didn't start as his wife. She was a prostitute. And uh, the Lord tells Hosea to go marry a prostitute. Why? A harlot. Why? Because this is an illustration. What does it illustrate? Israel has done what? Played the harlot and gone after other gods. And so you go marry her. He says, "Not I says, oh yeah. So you marry and you have children. And the first child's name is God sows Jezreel. The second uh, child's name is Lo-Ami, Lo-Not-Ami, my people. Because you are not my people and I am not your God. Who's he talking to then? Those were his people. Now he's calling them not my people. And the third child is a girl and her name is. Lo No compassion. For I will have no compassion. And then in the book of Hosea, it talks about the Gentiles. The gospel going to the Gentiles. And then he will return to his people who are not his people, and he will have wahama, compassion upon them. And then he will call those who are not his people, my people. Who is that? Okay, they were his people. And then he says, you're not my people. And then he's going to go to those who are not his people, and he's going to say, my people again. You with me? That's Hosea. You didn't need to, Revelation is not telling you what's going to happen. It's telling you how it's going to happen. Blow by blow, how it's going to happen. Does that make sense? (laughs) Good? Um, Isaiah. Isaiah comes, he says, y'all are worthless. You're going to be judged. Y'all like a vineyard, chapter 5. There's this vineyard and, you know, you're worthless. Rejected the Lord. So you're going into captivity. All right, chapters 1 through 9. Thirty-nine, Chapter 40. Comfort, comfort my people, Israel, says the Lord. What's he doing there? You were sold for nothing. You will be redeemed without money. How were they redeemed? How were they redeemed? Redeemed. You can talk to the word that we use all the time. Bought back. They were bought back. How were they bought back? Through the blood of Christ. Through the, through the servant's blood. Right? and so that blood was a propitiation a yeah. satisfaction who's who had to be satisfied god the father the wrath of god had to be satisfied because of israel's rebellion because of israel's sin how's is it satisfied through this ransom that was paid, through this blood money that was paid—it wasn't blood; it was—or it wasn't money; it was blood—to buy them back. And so John's going to say that, Christ, writing to Jews, that Christ and Christ's blood is a propitiation for our sins—who's our Jews—and not only for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. Who's that? There you go. Okay, so this making sense. Okay. So, now, does this apply to you? Yes, <laughs> of course it does. This whole story applies uh, to us. You're right in the middle of it. Okay? You're just not back there in it. Okay. Tracking? And so the book of Revelation is bringing us to how does the Lord ultimately and finally bring Israel back? Because Christ will not return until Israel believes. He will not set up his kingdom until Israel believes. He's not going to set up a kingdom of unbelievers. So he's going to get them to believe. How is Christ going to get them to believe? The way he's always done it. How is he going to get Israel to return to him? Talk to me. Per the covenant. Not going to go outside of the agreement he made with them, so he's going to send upon them war and famine and death. That seals two and three and four in chapter six of Revelation. You say Israel and them, talking about the timeline, who? Like just the people that are alive at that time, right? The Israelites living in any part of the world? How does that work? The Lord has not forsaken his people, Israel, from being a nation before me forever. Okay, turn, let's turn to a couple passages. So it's important that we understand the promises that God made to Israel. Promises that uh, pertain to the future, okay? Uh, two passages, there are a bunch of them. Gosh, there are. there are, In every single prophet, it doesn't, every single prophet, that's all they talk about. The restoration of Israel, okay? Let me give you two big ones. Uh, why are they two big ones? Because one of them is, is it actually uses the new covenant. Uh, and the other is, talks about giving, this, giving of the spirit to them. Okay, so turn to Jeremiah 31. The, the more that, that you put this story together in your mind, what we're doing here is we're really just establishing the context, the, the storyline. And so if, if you recognize where the story begins, how the story generally goes, and where it, where it ends, and then you say, okay, what about happening here? You can predict what's happening there because you've been told the story. Does that make sense? So in Jeremiah chapter uh, 30, uh, 31, uh, starting, uh, look at chapter 30, verse, uh, verse 1. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Write all the words which I have spoken to you in this book. For behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will restore the fortunes of my people. There it is, my people, Israel and Judah. Who are his people? Israel and Judah. It's always his people, Israel and Judah. Okay, restore, restore. What's he talking about? Why do they need to be restored? Or that word there in the Hebrew is return. I will return the fortunes of my people Israel. What's he talking about? Well he's talking about chapter twenty-nine. <laughs> See how that works? Thirty follows twenty-nine and twenty-nine follows twenty-eight. Yeah, hip bones connected to the leg bone and the leg bone. Yeah. One of the had uh, talked with one of the coaches briefly this last week. He was coaching up at the high school and he's teaching. Anatomy, that was his, his leg do Okay, what's going on in chapter 29? What's the only verse that any of you know in chapter 29? 11. Eleven. Okay, what does <laughs> 11 say? I know the plans I have for you. Who's the you that he's been talking to? For 29 chapters, you is Israel. 29 chapters. I, the Lord, know the plans I have for you. Plans for welfare and not calamity to give you a future and a hope. What's 29.10? Thus says the Lord, when 70 years have been completed for Babylon, I will visit you and fulfill my good word to you and bring you back to this place. What place? Israel. Okay, so where are they going? They're going from Israel to, this is advanced hermeneutics. I teach a class called Advanced Terminutics. It's just fancy way to say uh, advanced interpret. This is advanced interpretation. See how 10 goes with 11. Uh, so I will bet you and bring you back to this place. Okay, this place was Israel, Jerusalem. They're going t- to leave Jerusalem. And where are they going? For how long? Man, you guys are smart. Bible scholars. Okay. <laughs> now, This is, I know we've done this, these passages are so helpful, but it just helps you, the more you orient your mind around the story, the more it it just makes, it starts making a whole lot of sense. Now, they're going to be kicked out of the land for 70 years. Why? For what purpose? So that they would repent. And when they repent, they'll return to the land, Okay. Now, if they don't repent, then guess what they're not going to do? You ain't coming back. I'll bring a remnant back so y'all can rebuild the temple so I can fulfill my promises of Messiah to you, but y'all aren't coming back. You're going to continue to be dispersed. That language familiar to you, dispersed. Where does dispersed language come from? It comes from Leviticus 26 and Deuteronomy chapter 28. James and Peter in the New Testament, writing to Jews... Right to the twelve tribes dispersed greetings. They're still not back. Are there Jews today living in Texas? Yes. Guess what? They're still not back. Okay. So I will bring you back to this place. Right? 70 years ago. Do they repent? No, they don't repent. They don't return to the Lord. And so he will not restore them from captivity. Okay, well, what happens then? Well, let's get the contract back out, right? Uh, how Mormon's not here. So, well, what do you do then? If they break the contract, what, oh, well, then you go to the contract, say, what does it say? If they break the contract, this is what you do. Okay, so you go to Leviticus 26 and says, if, they break, if I judge them, turn to Leviticus 26. And if I judge them and they don't repent, then what happens? Yeah, yeah. sevenfold for their, uh, they will pay sevenfold. Okay. This is in 28, 14 through 46. If mm-hmm. also after these things, after what things? Uh, I, I will appoint. 26 16. 16. 16. Okay, so in 26, 18 he says, after these things, Okay, what things is he talking about? Okay, go back to 16. If you reject your statute, you know, these commandments, chapters 14, or verses 14, and 15, verse 16. I will do this to you. I will appoint over you sudden terror, <coughs> consumption, fever. Remember that fever? What was Peter's mother-in-law suffering from? It's the same word. The Christ is able to heal the fever, which comes on Israel because of the curses, right? I thought it was a hard one. Uh, uh, Wasting away of the eyes. What does that mean? You'll go blind. Any any blind people in this story that Jesus heals? So he he can cause the blind to see, the lame to walk, the deaf to hear, the fever to be. He can fix all this stuff. But you have to do what? Return to the Lord. Repent, return to the Lord, and he will restore you from captivity, and he will have compassion for you. Verse 17, I will set my face against you so that you will be struck down before your enemies. What enemies? I don't know. Maybe Babylon, Medes, Persians, Greeks, Romans, Germany. I mean, it's been going for a (laughs) while now. And if after all of these things, you still do not obey them. Then I will punish you seven times more for your sins. Catch that. Verse 21. I'll send plagues upon you. And if you don't repent, I'll send seven times more for your sins. Verse 4. And if you still don't repent, seven times more. Seven times. Seven times. Verses 18, verses 21, verses 24. Uh, verses 28. It just goes on and on, right? So if they don't repent seven times. Okay, so 70 years passes. Back to Jeremiah 29 10. 70 years has passed. Do they repent? No. Okay, then what do you expect? When you go back to the covenant you say, okay, well, then what do you expect? So in Daniel chapter 9, Daniel's over there reading. He says, oh yeah, I remember in Jeremiah it said 70 years. This is Daniel chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. And so he's praying for his people and interceding for his people and confessing their sins. And the angel comes and he says, what? I've heard your prayer. The Lord heard your prayer. As soon as you he heard it, I came. But here's the problem, Daniel. What? What's the problem? Your people didn't repent. So, 77s have been declared. It was 70. Now it's 70 times 7. And that clock is going to begin. He tells them when the clock's going to begin, when the The decree is given to rebuild the city and its walls. Then we'll start the clock. And it's going to run all the way through the first 69 weeks. And then Messiah will be cut off and have nothing. We'll wait for the 70th week. So we're in between the 69 weeks and the 70th week. Uh, Weeks, weeks, weeks. Yeah, thank you, Kate. Uh, Weeks doesn't mean weeks. It means sevens. It's translated weeks, 70 weeks. It's 77s. Literally, that's what it means. 77s have been decreed for you. Uh, seven, uh, seven what? Years. So a week is a seven. seven. The judgment was 70 years. And so the seven times 70 is 70, is seven times 70 years. Okay? Uh, and so this is the judgment. Is this making sense? This is, you, a week is, seven. A week is one seven. week means seven. So seven. A a so it doesn't say weeks, it says seventh. Seventy sevens have been decreed for you and for your people. You with me? Yeah. Is, is 70 times seven. 70, 70 sevens have been decreed for you and for your people. The original 70 was years and so it's seven times 70 years have been decreed for you and for your people. Does that make sense? It's translated weeks. It shouldn't be. okay. Um, the way that uh, it, it can mean week. Why? Because a week is made up of what? Seven days. Seven days. Seven days right? Uh, if I said a seven of months, it'd be seven months. <laughs> if I said a seven of years, it'd be seven years. That makes sense? This last 70th week, last 70th section of seven, last seven-year period, will become the focus of all of God's restoring Israel. Okay. Back to Jeremiah. So 29, judge for 70 years. But at the end of seventy years or at the end of the judgment, I will bring you back to this place. I will restore you. And then chapter thirty of Jeremiah looks towards that restoration, chapter thirty one. at that time he declares the Lord. When uh, verse chapter thirty one verse one, I will be God of all the families of Israel, and they shall be my people. What's he talking about then? They were my people. They're not going to be my people. Why not? I'm going to kick them out of the land. They'll go follow other gods. And then what? I'll bring them back to be my people. There we go. All right. Verse 31, 31, 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, even though I was a husband to them. Remember, I was a husband to them. They played the harlot. Therefore, Hosea, you go, Mary. This is, it's just the same Same story over and over and over and over and over and over. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days. After what days? After I kick them out of the land, after they reject me, after they, you know, and after they they return. So we're talking about three. I will put my law within them. And on their heart I will write it. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Who is he talking about? Israel will be my people. I will be their God. And they shall not teach again, each man his brother and each man his neighbor, saying, Know the Lord. They shall all know me from the least to the greatest. For I will forgive their iniquity. What iniquity? What did Israel do? They got them kicked out of the land. They went and served other gods. And their sin I will remember no more. Why? Because it will be the wrath will be satisfied. Thus says the Lord God, Who gives the sun for the moon and the stars by night? He starts. He, he goes. And he talks about the sun and the moon and the stars and the waves on the seashore. He says, "If this fixed order, verse 36, departs from before me, then the seed of Israel, the offspring, the offspring of Israel, shall cease to be a nation before me forever." So will Israel be a nation before God forever? Yes. Now, from the time they were judged. And until the time they returned to the land to be a nation in the 1940s. That was 2,500 years. Is God faithful to keep his promises? Will they be a nation for him forever? Yes. He will restore them. Right? Is this making sense? And so the book of Revelation is looking towards the end, past the church age, Letters to the seven churches. And then after these things. So back to chapter one of Revelation. Second passage I'd point to uh, is Ezekiel chapter 36. You can start reading in verse 22. Read that on your own. What it says is um, that uh, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but uh, but for my holy name, which you profaned among the nations where you went. Why did Israel... Why was Israel among the nations? Why were they profaning the name of the Lord among the nations where they went? Because they were kicked out of the land. And when they were kicked out of the land, they went and did what? Served other gods. And so the name of the Lord was profaned among the nations. And so I'm going to act, and I'm going to bring you people back into the land which your fathers possessed, and you will possess it. And I will multiply the rain, Right. And I will cause all the crops to grow, and I will cause you to be blessed, all these blessings which were in the covenant, because I will give you a new heart and a new spirit, I will bring you back to the land which your fathers possessed, and you will possess it. Then the nations will know what? That I am the Lord your God. Then the nations will know. See, right now they're over there worshiping whatever Oprah Winfrey's latest spiritual revelation, whatever they Who knows what, you know, but they'll know. When you see Israel back in the land, know this. The Lord's running the whole deal, and you're in big trouble, right? So he's going to prove himself faithful in this nation Israel. He's going to bring them back. The seal judgments in chapter 6, the seal, the seal, the seal. It's a, it's it's a piece. Of, it's a scroll that is sealed. Okay. What's the scroll? Well, we got to go back to the story. What was the scroll in the, the story? It is the land deed that was given to Jeremiah, and Jeremiah was told to bury it. He said bury it because you're not going to need it for a while because y'all not going to have a land deed a deed to the land. But we'll get there. And so this so they bring the scroll and say, well, who can break the seals? Who can unseal it? Right, there was seals. It was sealed shut. Why can't it be broken? Because Israel hasn't repented. And so they have no right to the land's deed. So we have to get them to repent. Who can open it? Only one the Christ. And so he's going to open the seals, break the seals, and the seals, the breaking of the seals, are the bringing about. He breaks the first seal. Oh, whiteboard breaks the second seal, goes out. Uh, war breaks the third. These are judgments placed on Israel so that they will repent, so that the land deed can be executed, and they have a right to the land again. Does that make sense? Is everybody for Israel being returned to the land and them having the land again? No. Who's against them? Satan, and who's on Satan's team? All the nations, right? So, what's their goal? What What's been Satan's plan from the beginning? Kill them all. Kill them all. Kill them all. Kill. Them all. This makes sense. So they're going to kill Israel. Okay. So they surround Israel. Israel believes they have rights to the land, The Christ returns, and he wipes them all out, establishes the kingdom. In between the time of their repentance and Christ's return, remember we said this last seven is seven years. It's split up into the beginning point, the midpoint, and the end point. What's the beginning point of the 70th century? The beginning point is the... uh, this firm covenant, this covenant that is made between Israel and Antichrist, is that a good thing? No. That's the old. That's the highest. The a, peace a peace treaty. They they make a deal with Satan in the land. Team Satan in the land. Um. And part of that deal is to rebuild the temple. I'll be in that front. Uh, yeah, I think that's probably in the front. At least at the, mid, the, the, the middle point is what is called the abomination of desolation. It is where Antichrist enters into the temple. So the temple has to be rebuilt by the time of the return of Christ um, on the earth to establish his kingdom. Uh, the abomination of desolation. This is where the Antichrist comes in and says, I'm God. And Israel realizes they're in big trouble and they make a mistake. The end point is the return of Christ. So the firm covenant, peace treaty, abomination desolation, return of Christ. These are the markers that are all through Scripture. The book of Revelation fleshes out how Israel is going to, from the time of the firm covenant, which is foretold in Daniel chapter 9, until the abomination of desolation, what's going to happen to bring Israel to repentance. It's going to talk about the sealed judgments that are going to be poured out upon Israel to get them to return to the Lord. And it talks about those who are administering the sealed judgments are the two witnesses. These two witnesses are operating on behalf of the Lord, proclaiming, proclaiming the covenant to Israel, proclaiming the judgments upon Israel. And Antichrist is going to till, kill these two. And Israel is going to go, oh man, that's great. We finally got these two tormentors out of our, uh, you know, out of our hair. And they're going to lay dead in the street for three years, uh, three years, three days, three days. Abomination, of desolation. Antichrist enters in the temple and says. Here I am, worship me. And apparently at the same time, the voice comes down from heaven. The two witnesses stand up and are called up to heaven. And Israel says, oh, no, we are on the wrong, on the wrong side. Uh, what else is going on at that time? Right before this time, there was war in heaven between Michael and Satan. And Satan is cast down. So there's a lot going on right there at that mid trip point. There's a bunch of stuff that's happening in that mid-trip point. And Satan now, Israel has now repented, believed in the Christ, and Satan, and the, they're going to pursue Israel into the wilderness to kill them all. Very much like what happened back earlier in the story when Israel was delivered out of Egypt and team Satan, led by who? Pharaoh pursues Israel into the wilderness to do what? Let my people go. And so these now these judgments are being poured out on the nations to let Israel go until the Christ returns. Does that make sense? That's, that's, that's the book of Revelation. Okay. So beginning point, mid-trib, end point. Um, I think last week we talked about Paul, Paul Harvey, all you old people know the rest of the story. This is how. It's not what's going to happen. It's how it happens. It's the details. It's the fleshing out of the details. Will Israel repent? Yes. How will they repent? War, famine, death, two witnesses, abomination desolation. These are the things that you've heard all through the scriptures that come to their consummation in the book of Revelation. Tracking. Uh, not only is it Israel that's poured out on it's the... It's, it's all the nations. All. Uh, they're, they're Israel, okay, so, so Israel at the beginning, the first half, the uh, first three and a half years, they're rebellious, okay? So judgments are being poured out upon them to get them to repent. In the last three and a half years, is Satan killing the Jews? Who will believe? Yes. Um. But 144,000 of these Jews are sealed. Why are they sealed? So that the judgments that are going to be poured out upon all the earth will not affect them. Does that make sense? So Satan's killing them all. So in the second half of the tribulation, there's a bunch of people that are coming out of the tribulation that are believers in Christ uh, that are going to be gathered around the throne. So, but these judgments that are being poured out are being poured out on the nations. And this is where, you know, a third of the earth died. I mean, there's all, okay, we'll get there. There it is. You start to think about these numbers. A third of the population of the earth. Coronavirus ain't got nothing for it on this. <laughs> you will smell death all day, every day. The whole world will stink of death. This is judgment being poured out upon the nations to let Israel go. Then he's going to come establish. Him. Is this making sense? Now, what is the hope of the believer? All the way through this story, the hope of the believer is eternal life that will only come when who comes? The Christ, who comes to rule, to resurrect from the dead, and to give life. Until then, in the story. So Jesus tells his disciples, in the midst of Israel's rejection of the Christ, the world hates me. He turns to his disciples, he says, and the world will hate you, but fear not, I've overcome the world. How does Christ overcome the world? Resurrection from the dead. And because he was resurrected they will be resurrected and because they are resurrected because they have the assurance of resurrection and we have believed in the words of the apostles which are the words of Jesus which are the words of the father then you will have resurrection so what does coronavirus have anything to do with it it kills you okay i don't want to die of coronavirus because that's kind of a, that's a cheap way I want to go out big. See, this is Paul. Coronavirus. I ain't dying of coronavirus. I'm going to make them beat me to death in the streets (laughs) for Christ. Now that's something to die for. Is this making sense to you? And so the whole goal, all of this is looking forward to the end. The hope of every believer throughout the ages always looked forward to the return of Christ, to resurrection from the dead, eternal life. And so it is for us as well. Uh, Why do we need to know this story then? Uh, Greg uh, Coonrod asked me this this week. Okay, that's great. Why do we need to know? Throughout this whole story, the Lord has always told his people what's going to happen for two reasons. Number one, um, to give you hope. Uh, Now... um, you can say something's going to happen. But that, that doesn't give me hope unless I have some reason to believe that since you've done it in the past, you can do it in the future. Okay? So all the way through this story, God is the Lord, God of creation, the God of Israel, saying, trust me, you'll see. Um, I'll bring a guy, I'll name him Cyrus. He won't even though his name's supposed to be Cyrus, but his mama will name him Cyrus. And he will make the decree to return you people to the land. Wait and see. Trust me. And so all the way through this story, the Lord is saying, this will happen. And it's not just general stuff. I mean, it's detail. Line by line, item by item, blow by blow. You're supposed to be sitting there going, Woo. It's almost like this God controls everything. All of history is in his hand. He's running all of it. He really is sovereign. Is he? Is he sovereign over all of it? Over coronavirus? Over cancer? Over whatever? Right. So trust him. You think that he's asleep at the wheel. He's not. You're fine. Because your hope is not in overcoming cancer. Your hope is not in overcoming coronavirus. Your hope is not. uh, It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. People die of cancer. You know this, right? Not a problem. Why is it not a problem? Let me tell you this again. I told you this last week. Let me, let me let you reflect on this a little more. One of my favorite stories, favorite stories in the Bible is when Lazarus dies. Remember this? His disciples say, Jesus says to his disciples, this is in John chapter 11, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. Now that is language that comes all the way out of the Old Testament. Fallen asleep. Those who sleep in the dust of the ground will be raised to everlasting life. And the disciples say, well, if he fell asleep, he'll be okay. Dead. Yeah. But I'm going to go from the dead so you'll know that I am the one that um, was foretold in the New Testament. So he goes. And he raises Lazarus from the dead. And uh, the people have believed that Jesus is the Christ, but they're crying. Uh, this is the shortest verse. Jesus wept. Is Jesus crying. Okay, well, first of all, the Pharisees interpret this. Anytime the Pharisees interpret anything, they're always wrong. 100%. Okay? So the Pharisees, you know, they're, they're like the foil. They're the dumb guys that always say the opposite so that you know what they're They say, oh, look how... Is Lazarus' death a problem for Jesus? Why not? Hey, Lazarus, get up. You're stinking up the joint. No problem. The problem isn't that Lazarus died. The problem is that they don't, do not believe that Jesus is the Christ who raises from the dead. He raises him from the dead, and Israel's response is, well, let's kill Lazarus again. That is the funniest thing I've ever heard in my whole entire life. Your death is not a problem at all, at all, if there is eternal life. If there is resurrection from the dead, you have nothing to fear. There's nothing they can do. This is Paul's theology. This is what Paul believes. You mean I get to be beaten for Jesus? What a deal. I get to suffer for Jesus. That's the deal. Paul Paul would say, I'd rather suffer for Jesus than suffer for coronavirus. So let me suffer for Jesus. Uh, Paul, we will beat you to death. What a deal. I get to suffer and die for my Lord. It's 12 o'clock. And they say, okay, well, then we won't beat you to death. We'll beat you almost to death. He says, even better. I get to be beaten daily for my Lord. You have nothing to threaten me with, says Paul. So, does the world have anything to threaten you with? They can kill you. So, they can beat you almost to death. So, they can make you suffer. So, did the Old Testament saints suffer? Let me read this to you. This is the writer of Hebrews. How he encourages Jewish believers to continue to endure. Talking about these Old Testament saints, what shall we say? He's talked about um, Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abram, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses. He's going down through the, the, scroll, through the list of Old Testament saints. He continues, Joshua, look, I could keep going. He says, I could talk about Jephthah or David or Samuel or how these guys did all these amazing things in the Old Testament. He continues. Others, they were, uh, they experienced mockings, scourgings, chains, imprisonment. They were stoned, sawed in two, tempted, put to death by the sword. They went around and sheepskin and goatskin being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, men of whom this world is not worthy, wandering in deserts and in mountains and in caves and in holes in the ground, and all of these, having gained approval through their faith, never received what was promised. They gained approval through their faith. Gained approval by who? By God. They had the stamp of approval of God on them. And they never received what was promised. What was promised? Why did they endure these things? Because what was promised was eternal life. Therefore, the writer writes, since we have been surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses who are faithful even to the point of death, let us lay aside every encumbrance, and the sin, which so easily entangles us. And the sin there is being caught up in, oh, the fret and the worry. of the Let us run with endurance the race set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, the completer of our faith. Why has he completed the faith? Because he was raised from the dead. So there's your hope as well. Same application, same exhortation, still applies. Nothing they do to. It. Amen. All right, we're gonna get into the details. We've got everybody about to speed. We're gonna get into the details next week. Chapter six, chapter seven, chapter eight, chapter nine. Seal judgments. Answer two? What's answer number two? Oh, I guess first. Now, why do we need to know this? Number two one number one hope. And number two, um, so that you can validate the one in whom you put your placed your hope. He got a track record. he has been calling shots for a long time. And they've been coming to pass one after another, after another, another. and he missed one yet. And if he hadn't missed any yet, guess what? You can trust him in the future. Right? So let's write the book of Revelation so that you will be encouraged. It's going to come to pass. Lord, thanks for our day, for our time. Um, Be with uh, the pastor today, his family. Thanks to Alan, his faithfulness. And uh, Lord, thank you for uh, your faith. that that you are a God who keeps his promises. And so we can trust in that. Help us to be faithful even to the point of death if necessary. Thank you for your son who loved us and laid down his life for us. And so we have the promise of resurrection from the dead through him. And thank you for the spirit that you have sent to embody the church, to gift the church, to fill the church, and to use each member of the church for the Building up of the body of Christ, the church, the works of service until he returns. So it's in his name. Amen. Thanks, guys. Next week, continue on.